Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. A quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners. This is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting utterly destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Seattle Mariners, splitting the series two games to two. Boston is currently still in first place, two and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. News out of Fenway, Christian Arroyo's hand x-rays came back negative after he was hit by a pitch in Sunday's game. He is listed as day-to-day. Chris Sale is making strides in his post-Tommy John recovery. There is still no timetable for when he will begin throwing off a mound, but team officials are happy with his progress. Ryan Brazier is also making strides per reports as he is rehabbing from a quad strain. He could face live pitching in the coming days. News from around the league. Madison Bumgarner threw a seven-inning no-hitter against the Braves on Sunday. Whether it should count or not is currently the hottest debate on social media. The Oakland Athletics' win streak is over. Orioles ace John Means shut them down through six and one-third innings. The A's' offense could not do anything with the Orioles' bullpen, ending the streak at 13 games. The Yankees and Angels reportedly had brief trade talks this past winter regarding Aaron Judge, but never gained steam, obviously. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. I am joined tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to see the Seattle Mariners leaving town for a little (laughs) bit. That team is pesky and annoying and way better than I thought they would be, way better than I think a lot of people thought they would be. Um, I tweeted out during the series, they're going to give a lot of teams headaches because that lineup is just a lot of patient hitters who who don't give you a whole lot, and uh, they, they work at bats, and they make things pretty difficult. So I'm happy to see them go because I feel like we always kind of suck against the Mariners, but this Mariners squad in particular, they, they are really pesky. Yeah, and they were 11 and 7, 12 and 7 coming in. So I'm like, all right, we're going to find out yeah. if that's legit. And then we're seeing guys like Kyle Seeger, Ty France, Mitch Hanniger just going off on some of our pitching. And especially Ty France, I wasn't familiar with him, but what a revelation that guy is. And I think, as far as at least the wild card race goes, I think they've arrived. I think they're that good. I agree. Yeah, they're only going to yeah. get better. 
Uh, also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Not too bad. How's life in I'm your neck? Trying really hard to like not get go off right away. I'm trying really <laughs> hard because I I made some mistakes on the last show and I, they're unforgivable. They're like <laughs> hold your head over the toilet. Someone hold my hair so it doesn't get messed up on the toilet seat. Bad. I won't ever make that mistake again. I have. I have six gaffes per show on my own, so I'm not too worried about it. It was terrible. And you know what's funny is I I look back at it. I always look at the the predictions that we had. Not one prediction included the Mariners. And I still don't turn back and think, you know, if we had to do it all over again, nobody would have said the Mariners now. But the crazy thing is the Mariners, as good as they are, they're still one game behind Oakland's, like, crazy streak. Just stupid. Stupid. And uh, that's now over. So it, it's going to be curious to see it. But they're absolutely in contention. This team, if they can keep, stay healthy, holy crap. They probably will need Jesus. to get some starting pitching at the deadline. But their offense, very stout. And I thought their bullpen was very good. So, mm-hmm. Charlie, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me. It's Smith, S-M-I-T-H underscore M-L-B. Jason, I actually didn't hear them. Did you say yours? No, and I was no, just going to get to I, I forgot to do mine, too. <laughs> it's okay. um, yeah, you can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. Um, it's color spelled O-U-R, Color of the Iris. You can go harass me there. There we go. Yeah, feel free to harass me. I'm easy to find. I'm happy to be harassed. We got to start that an over weird. or under for when Jason either changes the Twitter handle or just creates a burner account so it's like that much easier. <laughs> the, the Twitter handle's never changing. I've had it for 12 years. It's okay. not going anywhere. I get it. I get just it. I have to get used to it. I um <laughs> I've had the same phone number, the same cell phone number since 2004, so I I get it. <laughs> like I'm yeah. not I'm not getting rid of <laughs> that. So anyway, and by the way, I'm not going to Give out that cell phone number. It might be written on a bathroom stall or two, but uh, just kidding. So getting <laughs> right into studs and duds, Jason, you are the leadoff guy for the early week edition. Who is your stud for the series? I'm going with the man who won the game today, Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, this was, I think, a very telling start for him because he did not have his best stuff, I don't think. Um, you know, they were pointing it out on the broadcast that his velocity was down a little bit. It seemed like he was really having to effort his way through this one. You know, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, he did give up three runs, but that was it. Three runs on six hits, struck out eight, didn't walk anybody. Um, and that to me is the most telling thing about Rodriguez so far this season is that he's only walked two batters all season. And that was a big problem for him, uh, in the past. I mean, 2019, he set a career high. He walked 75 guys that year. And, you know, that was the year he went 19 and six, but he still had the problem with the walks. He, you know, it's always been a bugaboo of his. He gets behind the count and then, you know, he tries to paint too much. He ends up walking guys. The pitch count gets up there. It's kind of been that same old story with him that, you know, any Eduardo Rodriguez start, you can turn it on in the fifth inning and he may may be up to like 100 pitches. It was a big problem. Um, he hasn't had that problem this year. He's been much more efficient. He's been attacking the strike zone more. Um, and if he's winning now when he still doesn't really have his best stuff yet, and you know whether that's because he's still kind of working his way back from the COVID issues or whether it's just because he's you know still shaking off early season rust, if he's winning now 
and he's not even giving you his best stuff, he could be even better by June, July. You know, the weather heats up. It's a little more comfortable for him to pitch out there. He starts to feel healthier. He starts to get into a groove. I mean, you know, having him in the Cy Young race is not out of the question. So I thought today, even though it was not his best start, it wasn't his cleanest start, it was really nice to see him still shut down a lineup that, let's face it, it's a good lineup. It's a lineup that gave the Red Sox problems all weekend. And Rodriguez went in there and he, you know, like I said, three runs on six hits. He, he held them in check. So, um, you know, it was it was a really encouraging start for him. I want to see him get that velocity back up. I want to see him start to cruise a little bit more because I don't want every start to be a struggle. But today was huge. And, you know, he's 4-0 now. And I think him and Evaldi are going to go back and forth in terms of who's the, you know, who's going to pitch more like the ace this weekend. And this weekend it was, it was Erod. It was really good to see. Charlie thoughts on Rodriguez. Um, looking at Erod, um, I was actually nervous because the beginning of his start was obviously a little terrifying, uh, back-to-back doubles and a fly out. Now you have a runner at third with one out, you're down one Oh, and he gets a pop out, you know, two outs and then you just do d- damn work second inning starts off the inning with a double again i'm like oh god here we go again we just got gifted the first inning by uh, garrett richards of seattle who just can't throw strikes and can't find the zone at all um but i'm actually feeling very good about Erod. you know after everything that happened last year uh seven innings sub 100 pitches gave up three on six hits no homers no walks it's his first start this season with neither one in with even one in the category and he struck out a minimum of one per inning uh, I'm not going to go so far as to, uh, I'm not gonna say foolish, but I'm not going to go so far as to put him in the Cy Young race, even though he's four and oh, his ERA is, is still above three, five right now, but you have, um, you have Shane Bieber and, uh, Garrett Cole who are, they're entrenched one, two. I think those are the two best pitchers in the American league right now. There are a couple that could make a case, but it's going to be really, really hard when you have a guy who's striking out 10, 10 plus guys a game. Erod has struck out 10 guys zero times this year. Granted, it's still very early in the season. It is April. Um, it's been incredible that he's benefited from uh, some decent run support. Like, he's getting the run support that, like, Rick Porcello used to get. You know, he's had five, six runs a game, except for the Toronto game where, like, it was a real close one, but he still pulled it out. I'm still happy he won. No complaints. But, I mean, this game wasn't the Red Sox winning as as it was the Mariners just blowing it in the first inning. They walked four guys in the first inning. And it, it wasn't it wasn't that good. Like, he did a great job after the second inning. He settled down because he only gave up, what, two runs, three hits, five innings, six innings of work. So that's awesome from him. Uh, I hope to see him carry that on into his next start. The Red Sox are 49 and 12 in his last 61 stars. He didn't get the wins necessarily in all those games, but the Red Sox went on to win them. So that's a, a really impressive stat. And I'm kind of surprised that the media was saying he was off today. I know the velo is down a little bit, but if it weren't for that fifth inning where the leadoff guy hit, a line drive kind of away from Marwin. Marwin had to make a diving snag at it, and he had a sloppy throw to 
Dahlbeck at first to try to get the out, and the ball kind of went by him. You know, he was just trying to make a play, and it didn't work out. But a base runner got on there, and then, and then the very next batter, I can't remember if it was if it was France or Seeger. No, the first hit was Seeger. So Seeger made that hit to uh, to to Marwin, like I said, and then the next at bat, the ball got ripped down the line, and. And the runner went first to home, and it was just a well-placed hit. It was just out of the range of, of Devers. Had it not been for those two at-bats, this is a much different start. Erod probably only gives up one run. He was locating very well his changeup. He was doing anything he wanted with it. They couldn't touch it. And he was able to get his fastball for strikes up in the zone. So I thought it was a pretty good outing. I'm kind of surprised his ERA is is even 3.52. But like Jason said, he's going to be a contender for the Cy Young. Maybe maybe Cole and Bieber do finish 1-2, but I still think a top-five finish for Erod is not out of the realm. And you're going to take that all any year with a guy like Rodriguez. So... I've said in previous shows he's got a flair for the big game. If this Red Sox team gets in the playoffs, Erod's going to be a beast. John Lackey was always really good in the playoffs. He was a okay regular season pitcher. He was a stud in the playoffs, and I think I think Erod has the same makeup. And another thing too, Erod does not get any credit for this when that when that fifth inning happened and and he gave up. Those hits, he walked right back in. He doesn't rattle. He locks right back in and goes right back to work. And how many pitchers like Garrett Richards, for instance, Charlie's new Matt Hall, um, gets frazzled like so bad, you know, and and it just it goes downhill. So I liked what I saw from Rodriguez. And uh I can't I can't wait to see more. I wish he was pitching against the Mets, but it doesn't line up that way. Mm. Yeah, so uh Charlie, go ahead. Who's your stud? I just I needed a minute to process <laughs> you mentioning uh Garrett Richards. I won't bring it, it, it sounds and rhymes like Matt Hall. <laughs> it's just a different year in a new form and it sucks just as much. Um, the stud that I had for this uh, series, <clears throat> Ender Bogarts. Uh, Xander had a hit in each game, uh, did have a home run. What I found to be the most exciting thing was that all three of his RBIs in game two came with two outs. Um, and I, I think that's something that we don't really talk about too much. But uh, Xander doesn't get those hits. We don't win game two. And uh, we lose on my birthday. That's not fun. Um, <laughs> so I was happy that we actually... We won on Friday night. That was kind of cool. Scary towards the end. Don't get me wrong. Had nothing to do with Xander, though. Um, I I mean, five for 17, three singles, a double, a homer, three runs scored. uh, Or three RBIs, rather, a run. Only two strikeouts, which is really nice. Um, Unfortunately, a couple other players are struggling in the strikeout department. Uh, But Xander is not one of those guys. All around, great series for him. Very few people uh, did better than that. So X was uh, my stud for this week. Jason, thoughts on Xander? Yeah, he was good this weekend, and it's nice to see that the power is staying steady. You know, it, it took him a while to get that first home run. Now he's up to three. 
He's really starting to swing the bat well. Um, he's every hit he makes pretty good contact. He he doesn't you know he he's not getting any cheap hits. He's he's hitting the ball hard when he makes contact. So um, and like Charlie said, he only struck out twice the whole series. I mean that's that's great. Um, unfortunately, one of them was today with the bases loaded, but you know you you take what you get, right? It's you know they won the game anyway, so no big deal. Um, yeah, he's he's Mister Steady. I mean, just maybe even more so than Devers. Um, I think Devers has more steady power, but Devers will still have those over eight kind of couples of games where he just won't won't get on base. Xander gets on base. He's always going to get on base somehow, whether it's taking a walk, shooting a a, a single the opposite way cracking a double, whatever. Like he, he can do it all. He can hit to all fields. He's a professional hitter. Um, always gives you good at bats. You never have to worry about that. So yeah, he's Mr. Reliable. Um, and now the power's starting to come, he's, and he's really starting to heat up. You know, he, he can be a big driver for this offense. It's not, it doesn't have to all be JD Martinez and Rafael Devers hitting home runs. If, if Bogarts can join the power, then even better. Let me ask you guys this. And first of all, you guys nailed it. He's just, he's been excellent at the plate and offensively, he's doing everything. And I think we're going to see a steady stream of home runs at this point. But does him being in the four hole with Devers behind him, has that made him low key more dangerous? than when he was batting in the five hole previously with someone like say Vasquez hitting behind him. It's psychological with him though, because when I saw him on, um, it was the Garrett Richards night when they were, uh, it was, it was a couple of days before the series was over and bases loaded. He grounds out. And then a couple at bats later, he hits a home run with no one on base. He like kind of golf swings it over the monster in left field. And it's like, you are the most frustrating player, and you have so much talent. You do damage when no one's on base, but when the bases are juiced, you tank. And then, again, I literally said, watch him strike out. And I, I'm I'm no longer going to say that because I was pissed that I called that. It, it just, <laughs> it's, it's, this, it's this unbelievable ability to just do damage when no one's on base. You, you knock yourself then. <laughs> Great job, buddy. Let's do that with other people on base, please, because then we have a better chance of, you know, uh, scoring runs, which sometimes doesn't happen that frequently, and we need runs. We we just do. And when the bases are loaded, striking out, grounding out, not sexy, not fun. So that needs to change. As as far as as far as like the little position swap, it's it's so frustrating. It's psychological because some days he can do work, and some days he just doesn't. So it's I don't know. I don't know. I'd be curious to see how many games we've won with X in front of of Devers and then Devers hitting in front of Xander. And what's the record of each? I'm actually, you know what? I'm going to mute myself. I'm going to look it up. Well, right now. It hasn't I'm changed curious. all year. It hasn't changed all year. That's been the right. Limit. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So if something hypothetically were to change. <laughs> okay. We're 14 and nine right now. We've had a nice little win streak in there. Do you change it up now? No, see, I, I think going? him. I think sandwiching him in between JD and Devers is perfect for I the kind of hitter that he right is. Now. It's yeah, fine. I, for because Bogarts is the kind of guy that he's eats given to him. He's not always going up there trying to hit a home run. I think that's what Devers runs into sometimes, where he's always going up there trying to hit power, and sometimes he overswings and he gets himself into trouble that way. I think Bogarts does a great job of oh, you're going to throw me a fastball up and away. Okay, I'm going to shoot it down the right field line. 
oh, you want to pitch, you know, you want to throw a sinker ball down and in towards my ankles. I'm going to golf it into the corner. Like that's the kind of hitter that he is. So when the Red Sox offense is flowing, it's, you know, Hernandez or Verdugo gets on base, Martinez moves him along, and then Bogarts comes up and he keeps the assembly line moving. That's I think that's why him hitting fourth right now is is perfect because he is more of an assembly line kind of hitter. He just he'll take what's given to him and he'll keep the offense moving. It's just interesting because I think it's it almost seems like it's a waste to have Devers all the way down to the fifth hole because in some lineups you could put him all the way as high as second and he would do damage and a lot of guys of his makeup do hit second in some lineups. And Devers is only hitting 269 right now. The power has been there all along, but he doesn't get enough credit for how much he's been walking. His on-base percentage is almost 100 points higher than his batting average. It's 88 points above. So it's just, it's a funky alignment. And when I was seeing it in the first week of the season, I thought, wow, this is just an early season thing. The, he'll be he'll be hitting third or fourth pretty quick, and they've kept him in the five hole, and it's just worked brilliantly. And I think his average is going to come up. I think he's going to be around three hundred or higher. He, he tends to get hotter as the as the year goes on, and and I just wonder for Bogart specifically if if hitting up a little higher in the order has has helped. I, I don't know, and. When you're thinking, when you think three, four guy, I mean, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, that's the best three, four we've ever seen. And the fact that Bogarts is your four hitter, uh, you know, several years later, it just, I don't know, it's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, good series by by Bogarts. And I, I think, I don't see why he's not going to hit steadily. Still hitting a 366 clip. So... He's never really been this high, uh, you know, beyond the first couple of weeks of the season. My stud for the series, who I continue to be impressed with, I boldly predicted he would win the American League MVP, which is obviously a reach. But I'm going with Alex Verdugo. More than anyone on the team, we've talked about, we just talked about how Xander can beat you a bunch of different ways offensively. We know JD is doing it. So can Alex Verdugo. He ripped the ball down the right field line for an easy triple. Would have been a stand-up triple if he didn't slide. Uh, Later on uh, in the inning, he got on, he hit a dribbler, out-hustled the throw, ended up stealing a base. Game two, he went oppo a couple of times uh, to in the left field. And he's leading Major League Baseball right now with outfield assists. He had a ball. He, play, he was in left uh, game two, played a ball off the monster and gunned down uh, Corey Seager, who was trying to go from first to third and and got the third out, ended the inning. So... I I can't compare him to Mookie because he's not I mean he's he's never going to be a generational talent but but like Mookie he can help you win offensively and he can help you win defensively in, in all aspects of the game and I love to see it 
I love to see it. And, you, you know, we can talk about Rodriguez extension talks. We can talk about Devers extension talks and Verdugo. We've got all these guys I want to keep in Boston for a decade, and we can't keep them all. And <laughs> and it's just sad. And I, I love Alex Verdugo. So I like the other two I just mentioned, but I like him. And hopefully at least one or two out of the three end up here long term. But. But Verdugo can can beat a lot of teams, and and he's a world class shit talker as well, and uh, <laughs> that that helps, uh, you know, in a, in a city like Boston. If a guy like Aaron Judge wants to play New York, New York again in the playoffs, I'm glad we got Alex Verdugo. But Jason, your thoughts on him? Yeah. So it, did I hear you right? You said he, he leads the major leagues and outfield assists with three right? with three of them unless unless he's been tied in the last day or two okay that that's interesting because you know i kept hearing all through the off season, all through spring training from pete abraham and and all these red sox writers that you know wow red sox are going to struggle in the outfield because you let jackie bradley go i don't know red sox are going to suck this year there's no jackie bradley out there to throw runners out he's so good at throwing runners out uh, looks like we're doing just fine Looks like Verdugo's doing just fine. Does he maybe have the range? Bradley does know, but I think he's got good instincts out there in the outfield. That's one thing that's really impressed me is his defense. We all knew he could hit last year, but the defense and everything else he's doing, the, the stolen bases, like he really is sort of looking like a true five-tool player, um, which if he can really be that, if his max potential is to be an everyday five-tool player who hits for power and plays good defense in the outfield. I mean, you know, how, how can you really be that upset anymore about the Mookie trade? It's, you know, I, I'm still surprised there are people that are upset about it because you get to watch Alex Verdugo every day. And I know, I know we all loved Mookie and I know Mookie's just as exciting and, you know, maybe he's the better overall player, but Verdugo just, you, you know, you said it perfectly. He has so many different ways he can make an opposing team just fold. He has so many different ways he can beat them. And I love his approach at the plate. Another guy who, like Bogarts, doesn't try to do too much. He takes what's given to him. He's not out there, you know, swinging away, looking worried about launch angle or any of this. He's just, you know, if he wants to rip a double or a triple down the line, he'll do that. If he wants to stay patient and take a walk, he'll do that. And, yeah, he'll occasionally hit a home run. Like, it's – he just – he looks like he has the whole package. And I think he's got a cool – really cool personality – I think he blends really well with that that clubhouse and that dugout. The guys love him. Um, you know, that's that's something that this team didn't really uh, have much of last year was just a fun atmosphere that, like, guys were pulling for each other. And, you know, there's even, like, you see clips of him and Cora. They have, like, a little bromance going on um, in the dugout. It's it's cool. He's, he's fun to watch. I'm so glad he's here. Um, how much longer he'll be here long term, I don't know. But that's not a... That's not a today issue. That's further on down the line. For now, it's just he's going to be fun to watch all year. And, you know, when when you brought him up in the MVP discussion, I was like, really? Verdugo MVP? I, I don't know. I don't know if he's got enough to do it. it. You know, I know he can hit for average, but you might be right. If if the power comes with it and he's stealing bases and he's throwing guys out in the outfield, I mean, he could definitely enter in that into that discussion. So, He's he's so much fun to watch, and he's a winning player. You know, it, they they seem to do so well anytime he's in the lineup. So, 
I'm, I'm glad he's here, and I think he's going to have an awesome season. Well, like I said, if he finishes second to Trout, it still counts. Um, <laughs> Fair his, enough. Yeah. His <laughs> batting average right now, before we get to Charlie, uh, is 54 points higher than Mookie Betts. He's hit one more home run than Mookie. Mookie has oh, a. Oh, you stealing my thunder. Oh, sorry. Stealing my thunder. Mookie has a 0.7 war, and uh, Verdugo has a 0.9. Since we're talking about numbers, Terry, okay, Jason, Alex Verdugo is getting paid six hundred forty-nine point five thousand <laughs> this year. <laughs> the Dodgers are currently paying Mookie Betts twenty-two point nine one six million dollars this year. We're talking about all the numbers, and I actually have the comparison right in front of me. Uh, Ten more hits, as you mentioned. Seven more singles. Another double. Another triple. An extra homer. Ten more RBIs. Stolen bases isn't leading. Hasn't gotten caught yet. Half the walks. Four more strikeouts. Is hitting. Would you say, fifty-four average points higher? Fifty-four. Yeah, two seventy-one to three twenty-five is what. And is destroying them. Destroying them across the board. Is it going to stay like this? Probably not. But what I really like about it um, was, uh, you know. This is someone who's getting on base. He struck out one time in 14 at-bats. He's not hurting the team. And he's fun. You know, like there was that one little misplay out in center field. It looks like, I I don't know if he misplayed it so much as he just lost it in the sky. I think it was too sunny. I think he just lost it. That's that's what I want to chalk it up to. Um, he tried to catch the ball or, or try to prevent the ball from going over the, over the wall. It looked like it would have been a ground rule double, which I think is going to be something he learns in a play like that let it go over the fence so that they don't get a third base um, out of it because Seager ended up getting a triple out of that. Uh, Seager's not, a, he's not a fast dude. So Seager getting a triple is like big poppy legging out a triple. It's very rare. Um, but it's just, it's fun to see this guy get on base. I mean, he's doing whatever he can. He hit 500 in the series, five singles, a double, a triple stole a couple of bases. What, what can't you like about this guy? Like this guy, he's fun. He makes he makes the team fun when there's a lot of different pockets and corners where it's it's not it's not so. So um, yes, it, it's funny. We're going to talk about him for however long he's a member of the Red Sox because this is this is the guy that came over from L.A. This was the player that we traded Mookie Betts for along with a couple of prospects, but we haven't seen them yet. It's still you know jury's still out on them. I'm hoping that both hit as far as being um, successful prospects, but. You can't hate the production that you've seen from Doogie so far. And you're absolutely right, Jason. There are a lot of people, a lot of naysayers and doubters. Uh, he is currently tied for first without field assists. His teammate's actually second, and that's Franchi Cordero. So he's one outfield assist from tying his teammate. Um, great week. Gr- great little series for him. I'm super pumped for him. Let me ask you guys this. Based on their personalities... Ninth inning of a playoff game. Runners on first and third. You need at least a run. Do you want Verdugo at the plate or do you want Mookie Betts at the plate in a high pressure playoff game? Oh, that's easy. I give give me Verdugo. Yeah, Mookie sucks in the playoffs. He's he's historically sucked in the playoffs. So it's the it's the one thing that nobody wants to talk about in Mookie Betts because. Baseball has anointed him the you know, the face of the sport and, you know, nothing's nothing Mookie does ever stinks, but he stinks in the playoffs. All right. Give me Verdugo. Yeah. Which one's Mookie again? 
Just kidding. No, it's it's just yeah. I mean, it, it's known like he can get you to the playoffs, and then it's a just a flat pancake. It's nothing there. Yeah, uh, I just I hope we get to see Alex Verdugo in the playoffs. I, I have no idea. This the the fun thing about this year so far is we have no idea which way it's going to go. I mean, we might win the division. We might be a wild card. We might finish fourth. You know, due to a prolonged bad run but um it's definitely been um fun watching verdugo and i do think he does have a flair for the dramatic so we'll we'll see how we'll see how it goes from there uh some honorable mentions jd martinez uh five for 13 had a home run uh, leads the majors, at least last I checked. At the moment he hit that home run, leads the majors. Had an RBI uh, today on Sunday. Looked pretty good. Uh, Raphael Devers, 4 for 15, continues to be pretty stout. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez, 1 for 9, but he drew a couple of walks today, had some really good defensive plays, and just continues to be well above average. At every position he plays, whether it's shortstop, first base, second base, outfield. I'm a big Marwin guy. I don't know how you guys feel. And uh, so any any thoughts on any of them? I'm with you on Marwin, yeah. Um, I know the bat it was a little quiet this weekend, but, I mean, when he played, he played shortstop today. And, you know, when I saw the lineup, I was sort of like, okay, Marwin at short? I don't know. Like I like him at first, I like him in left. I'm I'm even okay with him at third. I was worried about him at shortstop. Apparently, there wasn't much to worry about. Um, apart from the bad throw, like he was he was slick. I mean, that double play he turned was insane. Um, then he makes a leaping catch, you know, later on in the game too. Like he's just, you know, he's a perfect kind of guy to have on this team because you know, and Cora loves the versatility. He loves guys who can play multiple positions, and Marwin just seems like. He doesn't care where you put him in the lineup. He's going to give you, again, professional at-bats. Like you said, he'll draw walks. Um, he's not a strikeout waiting to happen necessarily. So I think he's he's a good addition to this team. Is he going to be like an all-star? Probably not. You know, he'll probably have a little bit of a low average. And, you know, he's not going to be an outstanding hitter. But he's still going to be a regular contributor. And he's going to be a guy that, yeah, as the season goes on, and, you know, especially as injuries might crop up, stuff like that, you're going to be really happy to have Marwin Gonzalez on this team. Agreed. Charlie? Same thing. Same feeling. I mean, we knew what we were getting with him when he first came to the team. I'm I'm being patient with it because of his multiversatility. I don't think I'd be as patient if he wasn't able to do all the things that he could do. But essentially, you have two Swiss Army Knives on the team. You have Kike Hernandez and you have Marwin Gonzalez. They're both going to have moments where it's just like, Oh man, it's super frustrating. It's super frustrating. And then he has a, you know, it's like we were getting on Kike Hernandez. Like, why is he in the one hole? Why is he in the one hole? He's hitting a hundred. It's just not working. And then he blesses us with six runs scored four games. Like, what? Did were you listening to the show and you got upset? Like, you should listen more often, and then you'd be an MVP too. Um, but Marwin Gonzalez is gonna have those moments too. To the same effect, remains to be determined. Um, but right now, again, he's doing the things that you have done. And the those moments of of magic and brilliance, I'll, I'll take that. And the fact that you can have those moments at multiple positions, that's extra special. So, 
you know, you may not have someone that hits the home run ball all the time, but if you have someone that can play stellar de- defense at multiple positions, I'll take it. Uh, getting into the pitching now, um, I want to ask you guys, what's more terrifying, Garrett Whitlock in general or Hira- Garrett Whitlock? Well, <laughs> this one's not bad either. Hiro, Hirokazu, Sawamura's splitter. Oh, you had to say the splitter, didn't you? <laughs> it disappears. Um, He's like, that ball just disappears. Here's the thing, dude. Whitlock's been damn near perfect. He just gave up hits in his second appearance, and that's it. He he hasn't allowed runs. He just doesn't allow runs. He's like, nope, you're coming to the dish. You might see second base. You might see third base, but you're not going to see home. Unless the inning is over and you're walking across home. He's been... Lights out. He's made no, excuse me, he's made few mistakes. The splitter is nice, but he's made a couple mistakes. And Hero's fun, but he's not Whitlock right now. And Whitlock is looking like the absolute steal of the summer. Yeah, I I would say Whitlock is more terrifying to opponents because they got him in the effing Rule 5. The Yankees just handed handed him to us on a silver platter. Like, they at least with Sawman, they had to go out and pay him to go get him, you know. And sure, that split finger's nasty, but you know he got roughed up a couple of times early this year too. Whitlock just—I mean, they got him for nothing. They literally just took him. They're like, "Oh, thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll take this guy." And, and now we're gonna stretch him out. We're only gonna pitch him every three to four days because yes, he's going to be in the rotation at some point, and he's probably gonna pitch seven scoreless against the Yankees one time, strike out ten of them. Maybe he'll outduel Cole one day. I know that's like lofty expectations but he looks filthy and if he finds his way into the rotation and he starts you know getting regular starts and just mowing down al opponents that's terrifying yeah i guess the the thing that bothers me about whitlock right now is we don't know what the plan is or how conservative they might get to keep his innings down like, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm afraid he's not going to be utilized the way we want him to be uh, down the stretch because if his innings pile up, then, you know, that's he might not be a guy we can turn to. I was impressed with Sawamura, and I don't disagree with you guys, but I was impressed with uh, his Game 2 outing. He went one and one-third, struck out three out of the four batters he faced, and... Like I said, that splitter, now that he's got it figured out, like guys were whiffing on it. And it was just, we haven't seen it since Koji. And ironically, he wears Koji's number 19. So um, I want to see more of it. And I think, I think by the end of the year, and maybe even by the end of May, who knows. He, he could be your eighth or ninth inning guy. It could turn into that. Ko- Koji didn't emerge until July, early July that year. Because well, Hold on now. He only emerged because of injuries. He did. It wasn't because of, you know, yeah. that was when we had, you know, the Joel Hanrahan and Mark Melanson. We thought, okay, it was the the, the Pirates closers for some odd reason that the the, the Red Sox thought Pirates closers were the answer, <laughs> and both of them just were not the answer. They were yeah. absolute terror. They were garbage. 
Melanson was terrible. I thought his career was over. And like 10 years later, he's still pitching. It just doesn't make any damn sense. So that was a little bit of a different circumstance. Had the injuries not happened, would we have really seen Koji Wahar? Would we have known what Koji could do? Probably not. Absolutely not. No. And Andrew Miller not. was in there too after a strong Right. People forget about that. He hurt his ankle. Yeah. And uh, Andrew Bailey had a shoulder problem. So he was really. He was another head case. Yeah. He, so Uihara was like fifth in line. And it still wasn't even an obvious choice. They were given Tozawa looks at, at closer. Yep. And then Koji just emerged. And that splitter just was just absolutely insane. And. He won the the ALCS MVP in in 2013 for it. I think he Koji that postseason inherited four or five one run leads and held every single one of them. So it was just absolutely insane. It's, but I it's not out of the realm of possibility. So I, yeah, I mean we we already saw Barnes kind of get knocked around this weekend. You know, Mister Perfect was not so perfect and. Ottavino was a mess yeah. recently, so we'll get into if, them. If Stallman was like third and nine, yeah, we'll get into them uh, at the end of uh, duds, which we'll we'll actually start the the segment right now. Actually, we're we're epically failing in my uh, attempts to get us through it. <laughs> That's fine. We gotta we gotta stay organic no matter what. Anyway, so uh, Jason, go ahead. Your your dud for the series. Yeah, my dud was Darwinson Hernandez. Um, between him and Garrett Richards, I don't know who's more infuriating to watch pitch. Um, probably Richards because I have to watch him for multiple innings, at least Darwin's in it's an inning if he can even get through it. Um, seven innings pitched so far this year, eight walks. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's ridiculous. And that outing he had in, in the blowout game, you know, one inning, four runs, you know, two hits, two walks, one K and a home run. I mean, it's just, it's a joke. This guy, he clearly has good stuff. Like, I think his stuff is pretty good. He just has no idea where the ball is going when he throws it. It's it's just he winds up and he just hucks it, and most of the time he can't locate it. And then when he does locate it, he throws it right down the middle, and it gets knocked 500 feet. So this is a guy that I looked at, and, you know, when we were kind of tossing around who might be the closer for this year as we were heading into spring training, he was a guy that I identified and said, well, you know, he's – He's young. He's a lefty. He throws hard. Maybe he can seize that opportunity. Maybe he can be a late inning guy who ends up being a closer. Now, no way. Nope. Nope. This guy doesn't have it. Um, your two lefties are kind of a mess right now between him and Taylor. So they've got to get that going. But yeah, Darwin's in just, he's got to get the control down. Otherwise, he's going to be useless. Charlie. Uh, I struggled to give him the uh, the downside, like the, to give him dud status, because personally, uh, that honorary mention should have gone to the home plate umpire, Bill Miller, who absolutely sucked behind the dish that night. I mean, he was on his knees for Seattle that game. It was so bad. And for those that follow um, Ump Scorecards on Twitter... The third worst call was in the top of the 10th when uh, Darwinson was pitching Trammell with no outs, runner on second, a 1-1 count, strike is called as a ball. The entire inning after that got derailed, and it ended up being a three-run homer as a result after everything was said and done. Had the third out happened, you never saw the home run. 
You never have those runs come around to score. You probably have at least a shot at winning. But this whole runner on second base isn't helping. In Jason's defense, the control is disappointing. The fact that he's literally walking uh, a guy plus per inning. He strikes out one per inning, but he allows a hit per inning. So your whip is two. You can't live on that. You're not, you can't possibly do it. The fact that his ERA is only 5.14 is impressive, but it's, it's disgusting because he, he, you can't live on this. And Jason's absolutely right. You cannot be the closer if this is how you're pitching. It's, it's inexcusable. And I, I don't know about like Hero being the closer, but it's not Darwin's in right now. And, and even though Barnes gave up a three run homer, he still has a super long leash because Darwinson's walking and allowing a hit every inning on the average. So I could see it, but I think Miller behind the plate didn't help Darwinson Hernandez. His stat line is what it is, and I've been a huge advocate from for him and, and perhaps even an apologist, but, you know, I <laughs> he, he's not pitching well. And I hate that he was used in, in the, the extra inning because the runner on second can can mess with a, a young pitcher, but but they needed him to up his game in that moment and, and it didn't happen and it ended up being an ugly inning. I think three or four runs came in and by the time we had our chance to take our at bat in the bottom half of the inning, we were buried and and it was over. So it's frustrating to see. And it's tricky because like Jason said, he's a lefty. So is Taylor. You can't have a bullpen with no lefties. You wouldn't think so. um, So it is a little unfortunate. Perhaps once the minor leagues, pick up maybe he gets optioned um we have i think it's gonsalves andrews mentioned him once or twice maybe he can come up and then darwin's in can go down and and uh try to get straightened out but i'm not by any means gonna close the book on him i I still think he he does have a, a bright future in major league baseball but perhaps um he he needs to uh, work on some things a little bit to at least get the walk rate down and uh, you know better his command. Charlie, your dud for the series. Uh, my dud for this one was Bobby Dalbeck. Uh one for nine, zero for his last six in games three and four. Struck out, um, you know, just one time in those two games, which is nice. You know, he he didn't quite strike out half the time, but he still struck out three times in his nine at bats. Only had a single run. He get a walk. Had an error, which hurt. Um, and I actually was talking about it. You know, there's one guy I was like, oh, man, Bobby Dahlbeck, like, doing great work, huh? I was like, yeah. Clint Frazier, doing great work, too, right? Yeah, shut up. So um, that that was the end of the conversation. I was like, Mike, drop. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck and Clint Frazier are the same age. Clint Frazier's been in the league for a couple years more. Bobby Dahlbeck's been in the league for six minutes. But Dahlbeck needs to figure out everything all over again like from spring training to now he's a completely different player 
oh, like what happened? Is are his mechanics different? Is he is he not looking at? It, it, are we just not evaluating timing? I think hitting home runs off of nobody's makes you look like you have inflated stats. Uh, but you're not going to be able to continue hitting the way you are because Michael Chavis at this point in the season would already have two home runs and he'd be hitting a little bit better than Dahlbeck. That's just my two cents on it. Um, but you can't survive going one for nine. You you can't be the worst hitter on your team. Not if you have that kind of upside. And and slowly but surely, like people are starting to lose a little bit of patience. I don't blame them. So he needs to he needs to figure it out. Jason. Yeah, I mean, one for nine, and he left seven guys on base the whole weekend. It's just that can't continue to happen. And the timing just seems way off with him. His timing seems like it's in a complete funk right now. Um, that at bat against Steckenrider today was brutal. I mean, Steckenrider doesn't have a, a lighted up fastball. I think it tops out probably at 92, 93. And he threw what he threw a meatball to Dahlbeck that he, you know, for a guy with his power, he should have hit onto Lansdowne Street and he was late on it. And then the next pitch, he, it was a breaking ball. He was out in front of it. He reached ground into a double play, killed the inning. It's just his timing is so off. He's either late on fastballs or he's jumping ahead on breaking balls. He just looks like he doesn't know how to approach any at bat. He just kind of goes up there and, and he, reacts too late to whatever's being thrown to him he's not anticipating anything he's not you know it it looks like he's you know almost like he's not studying the pitcher i I don't know if that's the case or if it's just he's just not that good um and honestly the defense kind of overrated yeah defensively i think beginning of the year he looked pretty good he was scooping up a lot of a lot of bad throws from devers but now it just he just kind of looks like an average first baseman defensively so if you're not going to be a plus defender and you're not going to hit for power, and you're just a strikeout waiting to happen, then what is the point of having you in the lineup every day? You you serve no other purpose. So I know they want to be patient with him. I get it. But clock's ticking, man, because I agree with Charlie. I think if Chavis was up here, he would at least be hitting for power. You know, would it be, a, you know, light years better? No. Chavis is what he is. We know what Chavis is now. Defensively, would he be worse? Maybe. But... I agree. He would have at least run into a couple home runs by now, or at the very least, a couple of you know green monster doubles, something like that. Dahlbeck's not doing anything, so clock's ticking on him. You know, I'd be curious to see how Chavis does, knowing it's his last chance, because Dahlbeck will be back. I mean, if he gets optioned down, he's coming back at some point. You can give at bats to Marwin for a little while. But then next year, you're going to have Casas and Dahlbeck probably at third. So Chavis's future, it's just hard to find him at bat. And and Duran probably is up next year. So now the outfield's harder to find at bats uh, for Chavis. So I, I would be curious to see what he's like in a situation where he can make the most of it. Um, and then getting to Dahlbeck, the thing that I'm starting to notice and I'm surprised I didn't pick up on it quicker than I did. He is terrible, especially if there's runners on base. He's just, he gets a lot more impatient. He's a lot more hasty. And his at-bats look a lot more terrible. And, and yeah, if, I agree. If there's I agree. two outs as well. So so Cora, I mean, if they're, if they're 
intent on keeping him up here, we're at the point where pinch hitting him is fine if it's the late inning and there's guys on base. Because Bobby Dahlbeck isn't going to draw him in. He's not going to... He's not going to drive those guys in, so it's it's frustrating and it's crazy how thin we are at at first base at that because Chavis is the next guy up if uh, if they opt to to do something about it. So my my dud for the series, Franchi Cordero. I don't think he's had a hit in the last couple series. I think he was over in each of his uh, appearances in the previous series, and then uh, over seven in this series. And not only is he terrible at the play. Oh, and by the way, he struck out in his seven at bats in this series. He struck out in five of them, <laughs> five strikeouts. But where he also hurt the team pretty bad was was in the outfield especially in game one in that inning uh where pavetta had a a no hitter actually we didn't even talk about pavetta my bad pavetta looked awesome by the way uh but he had a no hitter uh going into the sixth inning and then uh i can't remember if he gave up a hit or a walk and then Finally, there was a, a line drive hit kind of over Cordero's head, and maybe the alignment was bad and he was just in a bad spot, but he didn't do himself any favors to try to make a play on it. He just looked completely out of sorts and bad read, bad instincts. He just he doesn't look like a major league outfielder. And then he had another similar situation with a ball that went over his head in the 10th inning um, when uh, Darwinson was pitching. And he's just hurting the team in every imaginable way right now. And he got off to a good start. He did make a good play against the wall in one of those earlier series. And he had a couple of clutch hits. I think they were singles, but runs were driven in and it was looking like, you know, maybe we had something. And I'm not closing the book on him either, but this was a terrible series. And I don't see I don't see a whole lot of value right now having him on the big club. So So here's the sad thing about what you just said, and you just pointed it out, Terry. We could talk about Bobby Dahlbeck struggling. Franchi Cordero has seen his batting average go from three forty eight to two hundred. He's won for his last twenty two. And in those last eight games, six of those eight games, he has struck out two times or more. He's had one hit, not an extra base hit, two RBIs, three walks. Ready for this, kids? 14 strikeouts in 22 at-bats. That's a disgusting stat line. 14 out of 22. That's 64%. Holy crap. That needs to change. That's a disgusting stat right there. You can't, I mean, you have that and Bobby Delvick in the lineup. That's two outs if those are back-to-back. You can walk whoever's in front of those two, and you don't have to worry about either one of them advancing. You can't live on that. Jason? Yeah, Franchi Cordero has the worst strikeout-to-walk ratio on this team. He has 23 strikeouts and only four walks. Worse than, yeah, worse than Dahlbeck, 
worse than Kiki Hernandez is actually pretty bad too, but he's the worst of them all. Um, I talked about this guy last week and I, he just, he has no baseball sense. His instincts are terrible. And all we heard about this guy was, oh, he's a freak athlete. You know, did, did you know that he broke into the majors as a shortstop? Did you know that he's a freak athlete? What they failed to mention is he broke into the majors as a shortstop and he sucks so bad as a shortstop. They put him in the outfield because he couldn't play the position. And all we hear about is, well, he's got great sprint speed. He's got, and, and he's got tremendous power. He has no home runs, zero home runs for a guy with supposedly tremendous power. At least Hunter Renfro has at least run into one somehow. Um, Cordero has none. And what is sprint speed and what does straight line speed get you when you run in the wrong direction in the outfield? Like, the, you know, and I get it. The alignment did suck. I don't know why he was playing so shallow in left field for that play. It, you never have to play that shallow in Fenway. It, that was stupid. But he he took one of the worst tracks to that line drive that I've ever seen. He ran sideways. He didn't even run, like, towards the ball or try and take an angle of the ball. He just ran horizontally, and then the ball went right past him. He, he just, his instincts and his baseball sense is, like, zero. He just doesn't have any of it. So he's one of these guys who's a freak athlete who, you know, probably looks really impressive at the gym, you know, and probably looks really impressive in batting practice, you know, probably mashes the ball 500 feet in batting practice, but he doesn't know how to play the game. And no, and just, that's it. It's just, he, he has no instincts and he's going to keep striking out and he better start hitting for power soon. Cause otherwise, what does this guy do? You know what's crazy about Franchi Cordero is, do you know who's happy that Franchi Cordero's on the team? Uh, our coach. Bobby Dahlbeck. Oh, Bobby Dahlbeck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh. Because <laughs> that's the only guy that's doing worse than him right now. Yeah. 21 strikeouts and 58 at-bats. It's just shy of one out of three. 63 would have been one out of three. 23 strikeouts and 45 at-bats. He actually strikes out more. Like, majority of his at-bats are strikeouts. I think the reason why he's gotten as much of a leash as he has is because... This was a part of a trade, and this was highly touted, and we got rid of Benintendi, and we got to see what happens. And then Bobby Dalbeck is, well, Bobby bombs. You know, he just, he mashes homers, except for this year. So both need to change, or both need to go. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, a lot of us privately, I don't think so much on the uh, podcast, but um, you know, we've gleefully pointed out Ben Attendee's struggles in in Kansas City. He's coming around at the plate. He's coming around. In his last 15 games, he's hitting 245 and uh, has a home run. I, I wonder, was that today? It must have been this weekend. Um, but he, he's, yeah. he's coming around. He did have a two-hit game today. Um, so I like to see it. I mean, I'm not rooting for Ben Benintendi to fail. Uh, you know, it just didn't work out, and I'm not really a Bloom guy. I'm not really committing to whether I am or I'm not a Bloom guy at this point. We know where Charlie stands, but I felt that that trade had to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. That trade had to happen, you know. So I, if I'm high in bloom, I, I make that deal. <laughs> I might ask you have for, to. 
I might have asked for a crappy outfielder that had good defense at least, but um, but is what it is. But Benatendi's coming around and and Franchi Cordero sinking like a rock. Uh, some dishonorable mentions. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to get on anybody else's case. Uh, Vasquez didn't have a good series, but he's he snapped an 0 for 14 stretch in it and uh, got one more hit after that. So good for him there. I want to talk about Adam Ottavino real quick. We just we just roasted Darwin's in, but in my opinion, the first game of the series got lost because Ottavino had a bad outing, and he gave up a hit and two walks, didn't strike anybody out. He had that goofy play at third where he tried to get the runner out rather than take the force play. I don't blame him necessarily because there were no outs and you probably wanted to get that runner out because it would have tied the game. And it was a sloppy throw. It ended up in, out in left field. The runner scored. It was a tie game. Um, Ottavino kind of reminds me of of a Brandon Workman type guy. And Ottavino's been better over the course of his career. But but just for a Red Sox comparison, Workman had great numbers in, in 2019, but he gave up a lot of walks. And you always knew on the first batter he faced whether he had it or he didn't have it. And, and then you were in for a rough inning. And the same thing can be said for Ottavino. And he does have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It doesn't have a ton of movement. He, he does a lot of damage with a slider. But if his slider isn't, isn't good that night, runners are getting on. And I, I think we're going to have trust issues with him. So I just I, – I think the game, the game definitely got lost when, when, when he allowed the, the game to be tied. Barnes came in in the ninth, was perfect. So if you just if you just get that out, you know, we win the series three games to one and you know the narrative is a lot better coming out of it. But uh yeah, and then and then I guess while I'm on it, Barnes the next night came in with a four run lead and gave up a three run bomb. Three run bomb, it becomes a one run game. He he Cleaned out, uh, closed out the inning, so we won anyway. But it uh, got a little scarier than it should have been. And while I'm bringing up Ottavino, and Ottavino went on to have two more appearances in the series, looked pretty good. Um, and and Barnes uh, closed out today's game and and looked very good as well. Didn't give up a hit or a walk, struck out two. But going back to game one, seeing Ottavino struggle. And then Barnes the next night. With Barnes especially, this entire bullpen destabilizes big time if if he goes into a bad stretch. Because who do you give the ball to? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be the difficult part. And that's why I said after Friday's game, maybe the Yankees were right about Ottavino. Maybe there's a reason why they sort of gave up on him. Um, he's been a good reliever for a bulk of his career, but he's also no spring chicken. He's, you know, he's into his mid thirties now, maybe. And last year he was not good. And, you know, in the COVID season, maybe he's just kind of losing it. I mean, we see this happen with relief pitchers all the time. 
they just they can drop off a cliff out of nowhere. They can go from being closer of the year to, you know, being a nobody. You know, it happened to raise all Iglesias out there in, in Cincinnati. Like it happens to a lot of guys. So, you know, hopefully that's not the case. It's maybe it's just early season jitters, new team, new, new ballpark that he has to get used to, stuff like that. But you're right. I mean, if he struggles and if Barnes starts to struggle, then what do you do? I mean, do you, you know, is that where Sawman comes in and, and starts to emerge and, and takes that role? I mean, again, it, none of your lefties are going to do it. Taylor and Hernandez are completely unreliable. So hopefully Barnes, it was just a blip on the radar and, and he'll, he'll get back to form and he'll be okay. Ottavino, I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm hoping this guy figures it out because if he doesn't, then your late inning bullpen doesn't look as stout as we thought it was going to be coming into this year. I think you'd have to call up uh, Bizarro, maybe. Maybe you get help from one of your guys down in uh, Worcester. But Charlie, uh, any thoughts on them? No, I mean Jason hit it right on the head. I mean, just all, all things considered, I remember uh, actually. It's funny when you were saying that. I was like, oh, all right. So Matt Barnes is in. This game is over. And then it was a one-run game. And uh, <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I was paying attention to anything else but that TV. And it was the most uncomfortable relief when that game was over. Because I said, holy crap. It was like that coach from the – I think he was mm, – was it with the Cardinals way back in the day where he just yelled, they, they're they not who they thought we thought they were. We were talking about the Chicago Bears – and oh, that, that was, was the, the Vikings only... coach. Yeah, was it the Viking? Okay, yeah. I thought it. I thought it was. Uh, so I thought it was the Cardinals coach. Um, and he, he was just complained like, "Oh, Ronaldo, they thought they were. We let him off the hook. No more questions. Like whatever that situation was." And I sat there like, "This is a team that everyone said, oh my god, we're starting to light up, and now we're getting turned on quickly, and it is not a fun feeling because everyone counted Seattle off. Like no one thought Seattle was going to be good." And they're tuning us up like uh, on on paper. I think they outscored us by seven runs. I got to look back at it because I was I was writing down uh, total numbers. I think they outscored us by. Se- yeah, by seven runs. And two of those games were not pretty. We barely won. We won a one run game and we won a two run game. We lost by four and six. And that game that we won only by one. We should have won by four. we should have won it by four. So when you have. I mean, thank God we scored as many runs as we did. If we'd scored two less runs, we lose three out of four. It's just, it's really frustrating is what it is. Because it was like that false sense of security that we felt where I was like, man, my projection of this team at the beginning of the year, man, I'm just going to get laughed at all season. And now it's starting to come back to reality. Do I think they're going to be a 500? I mean, I don't know. But I mean, if we win two and we lose Four and that keeps on being the trend. Yeah, that little lead that we have in the division that's going to dwindle away really quickly. We were at one point the second best team in baseball, one game behind the Dodgers. Not anymore. Well, and you, now it's very much entrenched. Dodgers Padres. You were actually right about the football coach. That was Dennis Green, and he was coaching Arizona at the time. He was previously okay. for uh, nine seasons the Vikings coach, which is where I, I feel so up. much better now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your football take was right on. No, just kidding. Um, but yeah, right? yeah, and like I, you're kind of building off of what I said earlier. 
I don't know what this team is. I have no idea. They look like they could they could win 72 games. They could win 82 games. They could win 92 games. They really could. And we got to we got to balance it out until Sale gets back. But I I'm going to say this. I had concerns about the outfield offensively, and that hasn't changed. Cuz Renfro not a stud behind the at the plate in the batter's box. Neither is Cordero. My first base questions, we've gone over that tonight in depth. That's still a big question mark. So, um, and, and Kike being the leadoff hitter, he had a decent game today, but it seems like he's always behind in the count. He's just always 0 and 2 and. You know, and he's been serviceable, and and he's got some some pop in his bat. But a lot of my preseason questions are still questions at this point, as we near the month of May. And you know, I'm feeling a little bit better about our starting pitching. Um, Perez and and Ivaldi had bad starts. It was the second in a row for Perez, so hopefully he turns that around. I think he will. Um, I think Ivaldi will bounce back. He got. He got hit seven times, um, but yeah, so we'll see. Mets, the alignment, we'll get to that. Pavetta and Richards with DeGrom going against uh, Richards. <laughs> so we'll get into that, but I'm, I'm not feeling great about that. But you got Texas right after for four games, and you're going to have Erod, Perez, Evoldi in that series. So that should uh, that should go our way. Uh, before we do get into the Mets series, real quick, though, I told you guys I was going to mention this. I have no idea what your stance is on it. I have strong feelings, but Madison Bumgarner threw a, a seven-inning no-hitter today. Does it count? Should it count? Uh, I think the correct term was seven-inning shutout because in the early 90s, I don't know what Illuminati group form formulated the rule, but they said that a no hitter, a perfect game had to be nine innings. And I like that rule because 2021, we're all about making stuff up and changing stuff just to be cool and just to be different. And sometimes different doesn't work. And this is one of those circumstances, because if that's the case, then you know what? A six-inning game that gets shut out or, or ended because of rain, let's call that a no-hitter if there's no hits allowed. I think the standard should go back to what it was, and I pray that in the playoffs they don't put a man on second base because that would just make the game last a little less time. That's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a seven-inning shutout. Kudos. Well done, Mad Bomb. Great, great work, but it's a shutout. That's it. Jason. I agree. Uh, fake no hitter. It's, you know, <laughs> fake, completely fake, completely fake. Um, think of it this way. If take out the seven inning double headers, if you were playing a regular game and you got to the seventh inning and this guy had a no hitter and it got rained out, would you call that a no hitter? No, like, no, of course not. not. You'd say he had a no hitter, but the game got canceled in the seventh inning. So it's doesn't count. I feel the same way about this. You, you can't, you can't celebrate a no hitter when, you didn't have to go through the lineup as many times as everyone else might have had to. So, no, fake no hitter doesn't count. 
I mean, if he wants to count it as one, uh, fine. But, you know, would be good for you. I mean, there's been over 300 no-hitters in Major League Baseball history anyway, so it's not like, you know, it's not like it's that rare anymore. But, no, it's it's completely fake. Yeah. Here's the other thing, too. He threw 98 pitches in seven innings. He hadn't allowed a walk. He didn't allow a hit. Nothing, no problem. It was just the one, um, the one error, and that was the only thing that kept it from being perfect. The perfect no-hitter, that wasn't. But what's to say? I mean, how many times have we seen a no-hitter get broken up in the ninth inning with two outs, with one out? I mean, I, I believe that he probably would have gone eight innings, but I think he would have botched it in the ninth, and we'd be sitting here saying, darn, Mad Bum came so close, but not close enough. And we wouldn't be talking about this right now. I'm just so tired. I agree with both of you guys. And I'm just so tired of this constant lowering of the bar. That's all we're doing now. We're just lowering the bar with everything. And it's a it's an intense debate right now, like I said, on social media. Jeff Passan is, you know clamping his pom-poms together. He wants it to to be a thing now. I mean, who, who is that Tigers pitcher? Is it Gal? Oh, are you, are you Gazzle- talking about the one that Jim Joyce messed yeah, up? Yeah, Galarraga, I think his last Galarraga. name. Galarraga. Yeah. yeah. That I mean, actually was a no-hitter. It was, yeah. And Joyce, you know, when does an umpire admit they're wrong? But Joyce did the next day, and he, he cried about it even. But... um. Yeah. Tell those guys that coughed it up in the eighth or ninth. Tell Bartolo Colon, who I think literally just two years ago had one going. I want to say it ended in the seventh, so it wouldn't have counted even today. But at 45 years old, he, you know, I tell him that. So I'm just, I'm just tired of it. And I mean, there, there's plenty of instances. I think I'm alone on this one, but the steroid guys in the Hall of Fame, I mean, that's lowering the bar to me, you know, to, to let cheaters in. Um, there's just, there, there's other examples too. They're just they're escaping me at the moment. But what's next? And that that's the thing. It's not going to end with this. What's next? What's the next stupid thing? I just it's it's frustrating, and Madison Bumgarner did not pitch no hitter today. I'm <laughs> just not. It it really it kind of feels like baseball, especially in 2021, is becoming a everybody gets a trophy sport. It is like I feel like you know it, it's and it's even small things where like you know a rookie comes up and hits a home run, and everyone on Twitter goes, "This is going to be the next great hitter in baseball. We're seeing history." Right? It's like he hit like one like relax it. He might be good. We don't know. Like, can we give it a couple of years? Like, can we stop anointing people on Twitter? Like, as soon as something happens, it's just, I don't know. I I feel like a lot of it is social media. It's just, you know, everyone gets on Twitter and goes, oh, my God, you know, and and everything has to be anointed now because, quite frankly, guys like Passan and all the baseball guys, they so badly want the country to love this sport again because they know how bad the popularity dropped after last season. So it's just now everything's the best. Everything that happens in baseball every day is the best thing that's ever happened. It's like, it's getting a bit much. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing, too. Bartolo Colon was throwing a no-hitter against the Houston Astros. 
And he he almost did that when they were cheating and stealing signs. Yeah, true. That's something else to remember. Like Bartolo Colon, who's been around for like 50 years. Yeah, he almost no hit the Astros when they were cheating. So, yeah, if that doesn't count, Mad Bum, I think your seat is somewhere in between two other players that nobody freaking knows in Arizona. Bartolo is just a freak of nature. Like that guy, that guy is not so accurate, dude. It's so accurate. That guy is not an athlete. Like that guy should not be a professional athlete who's relevant at 45 and he was doing it. And there's that thing where you're not, it's bad etiquette on social media to talk about a no hitter in progress because you're going to jinx it. And, but I had to tweet something and nobody roasted me for it, but it was in the fifth or sixth inning of that game. Bartolo was in there and he's 45 years old uh, while pitching in that game. And I just, I tweeted out, I said, if it happens, you'll never see it ever again. And I wanted it to happen so bad. And then he gave it up and he was, he was classy about it, but Man, Bartolo. <laughs> yeah, I think that was his last season, too. I don't think he was signed. I think that was, let's see, 2019, uh, and then no, no one picked him up. But And if anybody's immune to COVID-19, it would definitely be Bartolo. That would never take him down. That, well, that, that was the rumor was uh, they were just giving – they were just pa- passing out vials of Bartolo's blood to everybody to, you know, <laughs> withstand any illness because the man is just yeah. – I mean, I remember seeing him pitch when I was a kid, and I'm like, it's like Tom Brady. Like, the kids now that are, are growing up, they're like, wow. Like, I grew up watching Tom Brady. Now I'm in college. I'm like, dude, I was watching him in school, like, before high school or anything like that. Like, anything crazy. You just started watching him now? No, kids. We've been watching it for 20 years. And Bartolo Colon was that guy. Like, he played for us. Like, he played, I mean, I feel like, Damn, this would have been the perfect candidate to spend one year with every single Major League Baseball team. Call him Mr. Baseball. Yeah. Damn, we messed up. I didn't think we would spend five minutes tonight talking about Bartolo, but I'm glad we did. <laughs> um, before we do get into the series, I do want to touch on uh, Aaron Judge. It was reported by someone in the New York uh one of the Yankees beat writers uh, tweeted out that the Yankees had talks with the Anaheim Angels in regards to a possible Aaron Judge trade. Now, that was apparently didn't go anywhere. It was brief, and no other teams that we know of were approached about a possible deal. But what I really want to know is why today? Why, when they're nine and twelve, would this get leaked? Is this, is this Brian Cashman putting up the bat signal, like, hey, we got this guy, and uh, you know, because when, if you think about it, when's the appropriate time to do it? You can't you can't do it last winter, you know, when they made the playoffs and you know, just over a year removed from a, a game six in the ALCS. But if they're, if they're struggling and they're a few games under 500, well, you know, maybe, maybe that could be the basis for it. 
He needs a reason, basically. He can't trade Aaron Judge for no reason. No, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if this was a sort of a Cashman smokescreen in a way to take some of the heat off of him because obviously the Yankees have not been off to the start that they or their fans expected. And I think Judge is an easy scapegoat for that team. He's, you know, sure, he's a superstar when he's healthy, but he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't delivered in the postseason last couple of years. So it's been disappointing for the Yankees for the last couple of years with him. Yankees fans are fed up with him. I, I see Yankees fans every day on Twitter saying, you should trade Aaron Judge today. Like, trade him now. Get as much for him now as you can because you're not going to pay him. You better not pay him. We don't want you to pay him. So trade him now. Get it over with. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees sort of leaked that out just to sort of say, hey, you know, don't don't worry about Cashman and Boone. It's not their fault. It, it, this guy, the superstar, can't stay healthy. It's him. And, you know, we're, we're trying to trade him. We just haven't figured it out yet. That wouldn't shock me at all. I think the term superstar and Aaron Judge don't even belong in the same paragraph. You've had one good season, and then everybody figured you out. You are too big for the sport. You sneeze, you break a rib. You are the clear-cut example as to why, if you're six foot seven, and you're not Randy Johnson, and he was six foot ten, uh, you're not going to last. You're, you just can't. Not as a position player. It's it's too taxing. Your strike zone is like six hectares. Like, it's stupid. You're... When's the right time? The Yankees are a joke this year. There is no Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. It's cute. It's like, oh, the Red Sox-Yankees are playing this weekend. It should be fun. That's kind of how it is now. But Aaron Judge is, is not exciting anymore. He's just not, he's not exciting. He's struck out a third of his at-bats. He's had four home runs. He's hitting under 250. There's just... If the Yankees give this guy a contract, Cashman's gone. Cashman's gone. He's done. At this point, the Yankees really did miss their window to move him. The best time to move him would have been three years ago. And you would have made major bucks. And now, this kid's almost 30 years old. He spent major time on the injury list two seasons. It's only a matter of time before it happens this season. Last year, he didn't spend that much time on injury season because, well, the season was injured. So what's what do you get for Aaron Judge? You're openly admitting to trading someone who's not going to be healthy. The Angels are going to get him, which is, I mean, that's also stupid in itself. You got Mike Trout. You got Shohei Otani. You got Anthony Rendon. You got Fletcher in there. Uh, you got a couple other guys. I'm I'm missing. I'm, I'm missing the. Um, you got Pujols. You have Upton there. Upton, you have yeah. a couple of starters. Uh, getting Aaron Judge shouldn't have been part of the picture. It should have been getting another starter if it's LA. It it just it didn't make any sense at this point. Now now everybody knows you're trying to move them, so. I'm I'm curious to see what they end up getting for Aaron Judge. I really am because you you know he's not staying long term. Well, I think he's gonna come up in trade talks this summer, and uh, it'll be interesting to see 
what teams come calling. I mean, the Dodgers wouldn't have a need for him. Maybe the Padres do it to go over the top. I mean, they've got the prospects to do it. I think that's a interesting uh, possible landing spot for him. I don't know if the White Sox would. Well, they got that your mean Mercedes kid that um, they can't do anything other than DH with. So we'll see. But I definitely think that was the bat signal today to uh, get some dialogue started on possibly moving him. So we'll uh, see how that develops. Getting into the series real quick before we wrap as I pull it up on my phone because I'm badly uh, prepared. Um, well, this should be fun. Red Sox, this one off? Red Sox play a two-game set with the Mets starting on Tuesday. Oh, Richards plays on Tuesday. I thought he was uh, oh, against Richards. Joy. So that's bad because I, I was hoping Richards would be in the automatic loss game anyway. Uh, not the case. Uh, Garrett Richards versus David Peterson, who is uh, a younger dude. If oh god, pitcher who, yeah, we could just hope that Peterson gets thumped harder than Richards, but um, and then Nick Pavetta, our Mister Almost No Hitter, versus uh, Jake Degrom. So, how do we feel about Garrett Richards? Game one. Jason, do you want to go with the G-rated version before I go with mine? Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll just say real quick. Um, this David Peterson is better than you might think. He beat us last year. Um, he pitched against us last summer and beat us pretty handedly. Uh, they won that game eight to three against us. Um, he shut down our lineup for the most part. Now, granted, the lineup sucked last year, so maybe reversal of fortune um, this time around. But the Mets, we're catching the Mets at a bad time because they're starting to heat up. Um, they're finally starting to play a little bit more towards their talent level. And Lindor still isn't really hitting, but he gets to face Garrett Richards on Tuesday, so that'll set him right. He'll probably go four for four with a dinger, um, and that, that'll get him right. So I don't feel <laughs> feel great about that. And then obviously you're facing the best pitcher in the world um, in game two in DeGrom. And unless Pavetta spins another web and, you know, they somehow eke out a run or two and – they they keep it close and stay in it. Then I, I just I'm looking at probably an O two six. Unfortunately, go ahead, Charlie. Hope y'all are wearing your seatbelts because the boy Garrett Richards is going to find a way to lose two games when they only play one. That's how crap he is. If I'm David Peterson and I'm having a pretty crap season so far. I'm sitting there like, oh, yes, I get to face Garrett Richards. This is a putt win because I stupidly, moronically said, you know what? I'm feeling good about this. Garrett Richards is going to get a win. And you know what? Maybe you'll block me on Twitter too, Garrett. That's okay. I'll still go to sleep at night because you suck. It's It hurts. It really hurts. It drives me bonkers that I... I I gave you a little bit of rope, just just a little bit, and then you took that rope and then choked me with it and then left me there. And that's what's going to happen again because a couple days ago when I saw you live, you had no control and mechanics weren't helping you. 
it sucks. We're going to get swept in this series, and it's not even going to be funny. Uh, DeGrom is ridiculous, and I feel bad for Pavetta. I honestly feel like uh, if if they could switch those two, it would just be a little bit more respectful. Um, but Garrett Richards, I just I, I can't I just can't do it. And and Peterson's had two two poor starts this season. He went poor, fantastic because he struck out ten against the Phillies. Then another poor performance. He's due for a good one, and Garrett Richards is due for what Garrett Richards does, which is just get blown up. And of course, it's going to be one of those times where I might eat, eat my words, but I just I don't see that happening because I have to be G-rated about it. I get so angry about one player each year. And last year, Matt Hall was the winner of that sweepstakes. Matt Hall was my dud every week. Like, that's just how good he was. Garrett Richards will be my dud for life. That's that's how bad it is. And it, it's uh, – it hurts. It really does because you want to give every single one of these players a chance. But the excuses are just so rich. You can't tell if it's, if it's trying to be funny or if you really think that that's a legitimate excuse. It's cold in Boston. No bleep. It's cold in Boston. If this is how you pitch in April, it'll be super fun come June, July. Guess what happens in October, dumbass? It gets cold again. So if this is how it's going to be, Garrett, are you listening? You need to change yourself. You need to do better. Because what you're doing right now is unacceptable. Do better. Six walks he had on uh, whatever night that was. Um, He's lucky that the stadium there, City Field, is going to be at uh, much lower capacity because that could be a pretty hostile environment that he won't be experiencing. But I don't like him, and I want Tanner Houck in the rotation. I I don't want to watch Garrett Richards pitch anymore. You know, he's not battling the other team when he's on the mound. He's battling himself, and it's painful to watch. And I, I Charlie, Charlie nailed it. Terry, I'd rather chew glass than watch him pitch again for Boston. I literally, I would rather drive on the wrong side of the highway willingly than watch him pitch again in Boston. Yeah. I'll shut up now. Nick Pavetta, we kind of skipped over him. He looked good. He had moments like this in Philly. And he just happened to have this start after arguably his worst start uh, the Saturday before. So I'm not going to get too excited over his performance. He still walked three, uh, only struck out, I think, four guys. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, I did foolishly say that I was higher on Richards than I was Pavetta in the last show. And now it's the complete opposite. So Terry flips fast. Um, yeah, yeah, dude. I don't think I'm gonna Stop flip. smoking. I don't think I'm gonna flip again, though. <laughs> so yeah, and I'm gonna say this about the Red Sox offense. This is a concern. We didn't hit well this entire Mariner series. the 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 first game of the series on Thursday, 
we were trying to hold a, a three to one lead and then a three to two lead. And we didn't score again, you know, more than that three runs. We only scored two on Saturday with a Voldy. Scored, uh, I skipped over Friday, scored six on Friday. And then five of our runs, to, uh, three out of our five runs today were brought in on walks with the bases loaded. And, and the one pitch that was Pedroio got uh, Pedro <laughs> Arroyo. We're 90 <laughs> minutes in, folks. Um, Arroyo got hit with. And, and so, yeah. So what I'm getting at here through my rambling is that we're not hitting well. So um, – if we're going to have a prayer of at least surviving Garrett Richards in game one, there's going to have to be some offense. And DeGrom, game two. I will say this, and I very gleefully, this is the second time I've used the word gleefully in the podcast, pointed out that we always find a way to beat teams' aces. Glass now, Giolito, Barrios. So... I'm saying there's a chance we might beat DeGrom mm. uh, due to some fluky BS, but yeah. Wait a minute. Okay. Are we comparing Jake DeGrom to Lucas Giolito? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. That he, feels dirty. Well, he threw a no hitter last year, but, um, and it was more than seven innings, but I don't know. I'm just saying if, if, if we beat DeGrom, it's officially a thing though. It's a thing. Let's say that. 100%. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. agree. And I'll shut up about it every single time I say, <laughs> oh, sweet, we get to face X. I'll be like, oh, you're right. Automatic win. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we keep going longer and longer. Uh, I got to work on that for the listening audience. But if you're entertained all 90 minutes, we're happy for you. So we will be back on, uh, let's see, Wednesday night to talk about this Met series that nobody's uh, – are we saying it's a sweep? I'm going to say it's a sweep. Yeah. yeah. Bust out the I'm, broom, I'm, baby. Bust out I'm the broom. I'm saying it's a sweep, yeah. <laughs> and just for the record, a sweep for the Mets. Uh, okay. So we're not very uh, optimistic here. So we'll, we'll, we'll be thrilled. We haven't lost a series since the first series of the year officially. We've either won them or split them. So we got a. That's nice from last year. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice change. It's cute. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's really cute. So for the listening audience, Wednesday night we'll be back. So for your Thursday morning commute, uh, take care.